Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a nutritionist with a passion for well-being. I'll take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts or on YouTube and Spotify, and I'll put a link to all that information in the show notes. Before I introduce today's guest, I will also mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure or prevent injuries or medical conditions and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. I'm really excited about today's episode with Anne Weiberg because we're going to be talking about the link between music and well-being and specifically mental health. Anne has an impressive and extensive CV within the arts industry. This year, 2020, she directed the Adelaide Fringe Gala. She's been the music program director at the Darwin Festival for several years, and she's held numerous other programming, consulting and management roles in the arts festival space. At the moment, she's self-employed at Weiberg, and the focus of her work is project management, music programming, program producing, event management, in Adelaide and beyond. Anne is also the chair of the board of Music SA, so I'll be asking her about what that organisation does. The reason, though, that Anne is qualified to talk about the link between music and mental health is because prior to working in the arts industry, she was a social worker. Hi, Anne. Welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Anne, you've held numerous positions in the arts and music industry, especially in the festival space. And prior to that, you worked as a social worker. So I think you're very well qualified to to discuss the link between music and well-being, including mental health. But before we chat about that, I'd like to learn more about the role of music in your life. So, Anne, where did your love of music come from? And did you grow up in a musical household, for example? I did, actually. My uh, father was a professional touring pianist and my mum was a cabaret dancer in Helsinki in Finland. Um, I grew up with various uh, musicians and artists that were billeted at our place. This is in the 60s uh, when I was very small and I still have many memories of um, crazy opera singers rehearsing in our lounge room and jazz singers and and, uh, magicians and various others. So I was very fortunate, I guess. Um, Very sadly, my dad passed away when, when I was eight, so he was only 35. So his career was cut very short, but uh, it did implant many, um, many injections of um, musical loves that I have and um, got me into music from day one, really. Yeah, it sounds like you don't know life without music. Um, It was just always around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. My grandmother was also a pianist. So when I grew up, Nana could play by ear so we'd just hum something and off she'd go and of course at the time I just thought that was totally normal. (laughs) I realise now, well when I tried to learn music myself and realised how difficult it was for me, how talented she was. Did you play instruments yourself? Yeah, um, I learnt um, piano from a very young age. Uh, My uncle taught me after my dad um, passed away and then I learnt flute when I came to Australia and I um, 
kind of that was my main instrument. And I, mm-hmm. I, I played timpani in a school orchestra. Which is hilarious <laughs> thinking about it now. And um, I sang in the musicals as well. So I kind of uh, even all through high school, I was involved in music. Fantastic. And I think, Anne, there's an interesting story of how you ended up in Australia. So you were born in Helsinki and lived there until you were about 14, I think, was it? So how did you end up in Australia? Um, After my um, mum had been a sort of single parent of two young children, she decided to take on a pen friend, um, a Finnish man who was already living in Australia. And uh, it started off as a joke, but they wrote to each other for a year he then came to um, Helsinki to visit my mum and to meet her and uh, my sister and I. And um, they got engaged the first day they met and <laughs> got married within four weeks. And six weeks later, we were living in Loxton in the Riverland in South Australia. Oh, my goodness. And I believe you arrived uh, in the middle of summer from a very cold, you know, northern European winter. Yes, it was minus 25 in Helsinki when we left and 35 degrees in Adelaide. But then we went to Loxton, which was even hotter and and drier and dustier. (laughs) (laughs) What a baptism of fire. And also, Anne, could you speak English when you arrived? Hardly. So I learned a few things from TV and at school, but to actually speak it, I was very shy. So it really took probably about a year or two to get confident enough to speak in front of people. Did you go straight to school so you were expected to learn everything in in English? Absolutely. Um, I think that's another reason why music was a great uh, icebreaker, I suppose, because um, when you're playing music, you don't have to speak. Yes. You know, we all all use the same language when we're using music as the language. So it was kind of a great way to meet friends and make friends and um, also have that activity. I didn't play sport. So um, the Riverland is very much about sport or music. So music and musicals were huge in Loxton. So I was very lucky. Oh, that was that was fortunate, wasn't it? That um, that music culture was alive and thriving in in Loxton. When you talk about well-being, like actually that period was uh, absolutely about music that kind of helped me Mm. get through um, those first couple of years in particular, because it was pretty hard. The culture shock was um, pretty drastic yeah. and um, like feeling very lonely and isolated. Um, this is way before any computers or internet or any of that. Or Spotify. So yeah, exactly. So I got to speak to my friends and family in Finland maybe once every few months. So that was the only connection we had was by writing letters or the occasional phone call, which you had to book in. <laughs> yeah, and it was expensive yeah. too back then. Very. And how did your sister manage? Was she, did she does she also have a love of music? Yeah, she always has. She never really um, participated in it as much as I did. And she moved back to Finland in her late teens anyway, and she hasn't really come back except for one quick visit. So her connection with Australia was very different to mine. And um, for me, Australia is my home, whereas um, this was a very foreign land to her and she didn't really enjoy it. And you told me before when we were chatting that you did move back there, I believe, in your 20s and um, had a go at being Finnish again. (laughs) Yes, I thought maybe in the interest of my family and I thought for myself as well, I thought it was important that I go back to where I was born. And in my early 20s, I'd been accepted into university in Adelaide, but I just wasn't quite ready to firstly pay for it myself and uh, try and cope with um, 
you know, just being a student full time. Mm. So I thought I'll go back to Finland and see if I can make a life there. I lasted 15 months and I couldn't wait to come back. So oh, I literally wow. left everybody behind in Finland and moved back here with a one-way ticket and uh, probably about $1,000 in my pocket and that was it. Well, here you are many years later with a thriving career and, and a family of your own. Absolutely. This is my home, like I said. So, Anne, who are your, um, who are your musical influences? In the early days, definitely the sort of soul artists like uh, Sarah Vaughan or and Jazz, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Marvin Gaye, Sammy Davis Jr., Otis Redding, The Temptations, that was the music that I was brought up um, with. But as I um, have kind of every decade of that's really changed my uh, view of music and um, um, lots of radical moments have happened in my um, life as a um, music industry personnel, mm-hmm. I suppose. And um, I've seen things through my projects, but, you know, I used to sing in musicals, like I said before, so that was pretty daggy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my daughter's in a musical. I think they're great. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> I know, they're beautiful. But then, yeah, back in Adelaide, I used to go and see live music all the time. So mm-hmm. this is in the 80s. I would go out probably two or three nights a week and see bands. Um, so that was a real opening of what was out there in terms of the live music industry and scene that was happening in Adelaide in those days. And then over sort of the next few decades, I guess just working on festivals and, and events, I've been exposed to so much. I don't even know what particular genre is my genre now because I love so much music. Yeah. And I know music from all different background, backgrounds and cultures and, you know, Worm Adelaide has brought so many acts oh. to Adelaide. That's fantastic. We're so lucky to have that, aren't we? Absolutely. You know, the other revolution was about year 2000 when iTunes really kind of kicked in and I decided um, to get an iPod um, in the sort of, I can't remember what what year that was, but um, yeah, that radicalised everything because uh, rather than having to go to a record shop and search through things and order things that would take months to come to Adelaide. So that really changed everything and I was a lot more experimental with the music that I selected to listen to and dance to. Oh, fantastic. I believe, Anne, that one of your favourite hobbies is to DJ. So can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, In my um, sort of probably mid-40s, early-40s, I decided that I um, hadn't quite finished being a young person or a teenager (laughs) (laughs) or an adolescent, so I decided I really wanted to learn how to DJ. It was never going to be a a career choice. It was more just a hobby that I started and um, literally fell into it uh, by accident eventually because I got an opportunity to play at a massive event at the entertainment centre of all places. Mm-hmm. But um, what came out of that was like I started to buy more music and um, enjoy the fact that I could still go out without having to go out to clubs and things. But I get to interact with people and I get to dance and I could kind of put on a bit of a performance. So it was, I guess, um, addressing my need to still be centre of attention <laughs> <laughs> without learning an instrument. But I guess I had to learn how to you know, use DJ um, gear as my instrument now. So it was a very different um, journey. But um, I just love the look of people dancing on the dance floor and having a good time and and, um, I can put on music that really makes people feel happy. So that was the ultimate result. And I know as a DJ, I think um, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye in terms of mixing and getting the beats right and the keys. And also I think you have to anticipate the mood of the crowd and you know try and play something that i guess the most often the the idea is to get people to be, to dance isn't it so how do you go about that how do you work out what the next song is 
That's a really good question and it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, a lot of DJ friends that I have have said um, the most important thing about DJing is not the technical aspect. It's not about which button you press and when and how. It's and you know beat mixing and whatever. So that's not as key as choosing the right songs. Mm. And choosing the right songs, it's almost impossible to do 100% of the time. Sure. And the scariest thing is when you put on a song that you think, oh, everyone's going to love this and it clears the floor. <laughs> I've almost had a couple of anxiety attacks, literally, oh, <laughs> behind the decks, looking down and going, I don't know what to do next. Like it really changes the way your uh, confidence um, sort of goes and uh, changes the way you uh, behave uh, potentially because it just makes you panic and it's like, oh, oh, okay, well, that didn't work. Fade that out and fade the next song in. It must be terrifying when you're it the one that's... Terrifying. Yeah. But you know what I watch? I look at the crowds. I always get to a gig a bit earlier so I can look at who's there and uh, I look at um, how people are responding to the music that might be in the background, mm-hmm. um, what the sort of the general vibe is, um, for want of a better word, um, and how people are sort of uh, feeling. Are they already kind of moving a bit to the music or um, are people really isolated in a room and I need to work hard to bring them onto the dance floor? Or, and usually, and this is an absolute not scientifically based um, discovery, but it's happened so many times now that I think it's absolutely the key. You find two girls to get on the dance floor or two women, and if they start dancing, that's all you need. Isn't that amazing? And they draw the crowd. They draw the crowd. You just get two girls or two women, like I said. Yeah, hardly ever has it been men or males having kind of getting the – the uh, dance floor going, but uh, yeah, it just seems oh, to work. Fascinating. Like, there yeah. must be an interesting psychology behind that. Do you have any sort of go-to tunes where you think, okay, if all else fails, I'll put on um, a dancing queen or, you know, there, that kind of thing that usually work? I call them the floor busters. Floor because- busters? <laughs> so definitely like September by Earth, Wind & Fire. Oh, yeah. That's Great. Scientifically proven to be a song that makes people move um and sometimes some stevie wonder tracks as well depending on the age of the crowd and that's the other thing i have to be really careful about um some of that old sort of disco stuff works well but also it doesn't because some people hate disco (laughs) so it's kind of a strange i know i don't know how because it's impossible (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i have to if i start with a um Earth, Wind and Fire song or, you know, maybe, yes, ABBA always kind of works. Even now with the 20-year-olds, they love because all that stuff is retro. So the music that I was brought up with is uh, music that, you know, kids um, in their 20s actually or young people in their 20s just kind of adore because they've been brought up with them with their parents. Absolutely. a new cycle. (laughs) I agree. And for me, I grew up listening to the Beatles and Elton John through my parents so I always love hearing that music. It just takes you back to another time, I think. Yeah. I've actually filed all my music, uh, a lot of my music, into uh, decades so I can easily find music from those. And I kind of know it anyway, but when you're DJing, mm. you have to sort of find things quite quickly. Um, and the other thing is music got very fast in the 2000s and even sort of the uh, the last decade. Yeah. So disco can be a bit slow at times, depending on which numbers. So it's just the, the rhythm and the time and the tempo uh, and what suits what part of the night as well. So, and how much bass do you put in? Yeah. 
Wow, there's so much to it. So you're really spending a lot of time then, apart from, you know, actually mixing the tracks, observing the audience and trying to to gauge their mood from the sounds of it. Yeah, and I'm one of those rare um, or fairly rare DJs now that um, I will actually take a request if I think it's going to fit the rest of the set. Hooray Uh, for you. Yeah, (laughs) sometimes, especially private parties, like the crowd there, they know their friends, they know their um, history and some songs mean a lot to smaller groups of friends mm. so I'm happy to play that because if the energy is right and people really get behind a particular song it, it's infectious and it does affect other people in the room so I don't think it's a bad thing but there are certain songs I will never play no matter how much <laughs> big. Um, which, which song would you never play? Well if there's a request for anything Bon Jovi I would probably say no to Easy, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, I say that and then I have actually been known to play some of them in a, in a party that's, um, you know, small. Yeah. It doesn't, it really doesn't work. Just because you love that song doesn't mean that the other 30 or 40 people in that room love that song. So, yeah, I sometimes kind of just put it off and um, explain, really sorry, but um, I need to play a few other songs before that. And then, oops, look at that, the night's finished. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, that's that's really interesting. And let's talk about um, music and well-being and the positive power of music. There's been a lot of research into the benefits of music and some of the following things have been attributed to music. So, for example, uh, music can increase memory retention when you're studying. It can improve focus. It can elevate your mood, as we know, and motivation. And I think A really good example of that is there's a lot of popular playlists that people listen to when they're exercising, so running, for example, to to sort of fire them up. Um, Mm -hmm. It can reduce stress, particularly ambient music, soft ambient music, and it can also increase relaxation. So, Anne, for you working in the music industry and as a social worker, so combining those two areas of expertise, have you observed these benefits of music? Absolutely. I think music is very powerful and it can definitely change a mood, both kind of going towards a negative mood or a positive mood. Mm. Um, I think sometimes when people are sad, they want to hear sad music so they can wallow in there a little bit. Yeah. And that can be therapeutic as well. And I've seen it, well, I've even experienced that myself, when I really want to go back to a certain moment in my life, even if it's been a sad thing or um, a negative experience just hearing that piece of music makes you almost relive those moments and um, I think sometimes there's you know nothing wrong with going back to something that maybe wasn't a positive experience I think where you have to watch is that you don't kind of uh, then use it to almost abuse that yes (laughs) to an extent where you kind of go into that um, level of um, I guess death in sadness uh, just by constantly using that music but they've done a lot of research uh, in music therapy for example where Mm. um, music can lift your spirits or it can take you to a time um, that you may not actually remember I just uh, recently came across some um, beautiful documentaries about um, people with um, dementia who were really quite unwell and not communicative at all and um, weren't able to even move very much um, but this psychologist uh, used iPods and um, gave these uh, residents as a bit of a sample case um, headphones and played music from their youth and from times um, 
that, you know, meant something to them. And uh, it was incredible to watch. Uh, it just gives me a shit. It's fine thinking about it and remembering um, what happened and how those people transformed completely because one song absolutely changed their mood. They stood up, um, some of them out of their wheelchairs um, and um, became um, a happy person. And then removing the music, it was they went back into their shells again. So it, I don't know the science of it, but definitely it was very obvious that music was so powerful that it changed um, not only the mood, but the physical reaction to um, what they were experiencing. And it was positive because they were moving again and um, moving their bodies in a way they probably haven't for many years. Yeah. So that was quite yeah quite special and what's so wonderful and extraordinary about that is that it's such a safe form of therapy like there's no side effects to music is there it's 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 well cheap as well in terms of a form of therapy and one of the other things that i personally really love about music is that and you alluded to this when you talked about moving to australia is it, it can really unite people and give people a sense of belonging. It's very inclusive and there are so many different genres of music that there's something for everybody, which I love. And music, for the most part, doesn't depend on your socioeconomic status. You know, anyone can appreciate music. Uh, possibly learning music might. You know, that, that can be expensive, paying for lessons and having the instrument but um, everybody can listen to music. And there's some really excellent historical examples of people who have changed their lives through music. And examples are Jimi Hendrix, Johnny Cash, Elvis, Jay-Z, J-Lo. They all grew up in poverty. And look where music has taken them. When we're talking about music and poverty, I think pretty much all people of a certain age will remember the Live Aid concert spearheaded, I guess, by Bob Geldof in 1985. And that was a concert to raise money for the Ethiopian famine relief. And would you say in your experience working in the music industry and arts in general, that music has the ability to reflect the mood of a nation? I think uh, starting even a bit smaller than the nation, I think um, it, within our small, smaller communities mm -hmm. and even our friendship groups, um, you know, getting together and sharing a musical experience can be really powerful. But then you take it to another level, like there's been a lot of streaming of uh, shows that have happened over the past sort of few months. And um, I think those moments have been able to connect people on a global level and we're very lucky we have the technology now um, to use um, streaming um, platforms and whatever to share music. Um, and I think absolutely it is incredibly powerful to watch something and, and um, be a part of a performance in that way. But I think what's really evident now and it's becoming more and more evident as um, lots of people have been in self-isolation or been having mm -hmm. to... Uh, distance themselves from people is that actually is a, a, a dire need for people to share live experiences together in the same room. It's almost more important than um, having that global connection. That's important as well, but the, the need to actually hear music live and then sharing that with people, including the artists, um, which is missing really in most of our lives at the moment, yeah. is really, it's just, um, it's leaving a big, Gap. And it's interesting, I've spoken to a few artists just recently about their 
um, streaming audiences and uh, all of them have said to me that it started off with hundreds and thousands of people even listening to shows uh, but it's dropped right back. People are just losing interest. They're not paying attention or when they start to watch something, they lose it. Their, mm. um, their attention's um, you know, really sort of short and they just can't be bothered. It's like you're distracted because it's a two... 2D sort of uh, experience. It's not having your friends next to you on the dance floor or in the audience where you can sing along to the songs and whatever. That human need is actually, I think, a really important thing that we're missing now right around the world. I agree. I think um, live music, it's it's very immersive, isn't it? And you, um, as you say, it's not just the um, auditory listening experience, it's the full body experience and being with, sharing that experience with other people. So, yeah. and you work with a lot of artists. It's been a really difficult time for artists and, and not just the artists themselves, but everyone that depends on that industry. So, um, for example, if someone's playing in a gig and that's been cancelled, it's not just the, the artists, it's all the people surrounding that, like the promoters, uh, the stage people, the lighting, the sound people, all of that. Can you just talk to us for a bit about how the arts industry has been affected by COVID-19? Um, on various different levels, and you're right when you say it's not just the artists, it's all the um, uh, auxiliary sort of uh, industries. Uh, it's affected hospitality, security, front of house, like, you know, the levels and production and, you know, crews and whatever. Um, what's been quite uh, enlightening, I suppose, has been the fact that many artists um, have decided to kind of create something new and use their their art form um, in a different way. A lot of them, as we were talking about before, you know, going online, doing streaming um, of their shows or concerts, but also trying to be a bit more innovative about what they can do to get their music or get their, and I'm talking mainly about the music industry, but getting their work um, out into their audiences, even if people can't go to a live gig. Um, there are definitely some serious mental health issues amongst artists who are desperate to not only get work, but just to share that experience with people. I recently went to um, a comedy show actually in Adelaide where I saw um, six, I think it was six comedians and every single one of them who came on stage said how nervous they were because they hadn't been on stage for oh. four or five months. And I like the audience was so supportive. Um, it was just lovely to see that um, interaction between the artists and all of us sitting in front of them sort of, keep going, you know, it's all fine and it's, you know, amazing. And people talk about the energy in the room and I don't know if there's been sort of scientific um, sort of research uh, projects done on this, but you could feel the energy in that particular room was very supportive and the artists got through their shows and it was like, wow, okay, that was a great moment because we all got to share it live again. But um, even with music, when you're not getting the response straight away, you're not hearing the applause um, when you're streaming something, you know, that's, doesn't really give you anything back. Even as a DJ, I can say, like when I'm playing background music, I find that very different to when I've got a dance floor full of people looking at me and smiling. Like it's just a, a really different reaction. And I, I'm, I'm worried about if this continues uh, much longer, you know, how many artists we're going to see either give up um, yeah. or, you know, tune out uh, or what can we do to really help them get through this and uh, support them. So there have been some really great things with Support Act, for example, um, which helps musicians and other artists who are struggling to pay their bills. And there have been some um, crowd sort of funding projects that have happened as well um, and um, are seeking ongoing support, I yeah. suppose. So 
those things have come out of um, a desire, a, well, a desire to help, but also a very dire um, moment in our history where we need oh. to support each other. But yeah. Give people an opportunity. So, so how can we support artists then um, trying, I guess, tuning into live stream performances? Are there any other ways yeah. we can support? Definitely. Um, a lot of artists, um, and again, I'm speaking more for the music industry, um, a lot of artists are playing live, so well, live in their bedrooms or doing um, shows online. But also <laughs> um, they are selling their music so you know selling um either cds or um, albums or whatever so you can or purchase things mm-hmm. on itunes or the other platforms um and um merchandise as well so lots of artists have got a little bit creative about what sort of merchandise they can actually offer now when people are not going to concerts you know maybe it's t-shirts or um other clothing or key rings or whatever oh, cool. so there's lots of them um, dice you can purchase as well and every single dollar helps pay rent yes i (laughs) mean at the end of the day it gets back to basics doesn't it you need to you know pay rent eat buy some clothes whatever the other initiative that's come out of covid thing is um when um you've seen i'm sure so many um concerts have been cancelled and what promoters are now is people not asking for a refund but just hanging on to their tickets until the shows have been rescheduled and that helps on so many levels because yeah. it's not only the promoter who's trying to put, to put together the show but also um, there's that opportunity to keep some of that money there to pay some of the people who are working behind the scenes to you know make sure that these events go ahead but also when they do go ahead there'll be an opportunity for um, audiences just to come and support the Yep. show without having to go through the process of reselling all those tickets so that's a really important as you say that is one way you can either just hang on to your tickets or donate the the money you've spent on them and you are the chair of music sa which is a not-for-profit organization that promotes supports and develops contemporary music in south australia so can you tell us a bit about that role and what music sa offers yeah, sure. Um, Music SA has been around for 22 years. Um, I'm, I've been chairing it for the last um, almost six years now. We run all sorts of different programs and up until March this year, um, we had a whole lot of um, masterclasses and training courses that um, we ran from class. Some of those are coming back now, which is great to see. Excellent. On, yeah, how we go with restrictions as they're changing sort of day by day. We also have, uh, well, the staff have put together fantastic, um, a lot of resources on our website, which is um, to try and help musicians and the industry, I suppose. So there's in- information about um, grants and JobKeeper, JobSeeker. Um, there's also information about um, what you can do to um uh, have systems for your um, touring um, or um, other sort of opportunities that might come up the touring. So it's happening at the moment, but hopefully it will be soon. On our website, there are a whole range of um, different resources for artists and uh, people working in the music industry. If you're wanting some support and some information about JobKeeper or JobSeeker or um, grants that might be available, um, different initiatives, initiatives that have been set up recently uh, that are trying to help artists um, not just in South Australia but um, globally as well so it's definitely worth um, hooking into um, that website resource. The other thing that Music SA does is um, there are a couple of people on staff who um, do phone 
conversations or cop phone interviews with people um, who are needing some industry advice. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of really trying to develop the industry and that's still going ahead. Um, so you can call up Music SA or book a session online and um, you get uh, a one-on-one experience with somebody who can give you some professional advice about the industry. So that's been very popular and we've been using that um, that system for quite a while, but I think particularly now it's been a great resource when people can't actually get to the meeting um, face-to-face. Yeah, what an excellent service. And I will put a link to that website in the show notes. It's worth noting that Music Essay's resources are extensive and include templates like artist performance contracts right through to how to write a media release. So if you are an artist, it's a really worthwhile site to have a look at. And one of my dreams when I was elected as um, chair of Music SA, I said to the board at the time that I'll only take on the job if I can change things. And um, one of those changes was to, not even change, but improvement, I suppose, Mm. was to professionalise our music industry in South Australia more and uh, we've definitely achieved a lot of it and there's you know always room to grow and develop more but I think we've really done as an organization that represents the whole of the state we now have a profile where other state bodies in the country are looking to South Australia and looking for our guidance and our um, our innovations I suppose uh, and our directions with the music development office that was set up a few years ago as well like we really are showing examples of how you can do this as a state body and um, a, like create a, a real sort of strong community yep. where people help each other as well. So it's been a great last few years. So more to come, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, well done. That sounds brilliant. I next asked Anne, what type of musicians does Music Essay cater for? So original contemporary music because yep. um, it's impossible to be something for everyone. So we several years ago made it very clear that we need to focus on um, nurturing and developing the original music scene. Yep. Excellent. Um, and yeah, I think that gives us then the power and the sort of the, um, the direction to really make sure that we look after um, giving original artists an opportunity to create new material and uh, support that journey. Because I know there are some great successful stories where um, cover bands and and uh, people who sing other people's music or perform other people's music, you know, they've done really well. But I think that's fine. We just needed to be very clear about yep. the, the part of the industry that needs support. So that, that very creative side. And you also now, um, you've spent many years working in the arts festival space um, in numerous capacities, in fact. But now you have your own consultancy business, um, Weiberg. So how do you find being your own boss I love it and I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when I've got work and um, I can choose my own hours and the lifestyle is pretty amazing when I have that freedom and flexibility to kind of really work when it suits my mood or my energy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, you know, pretty much work from anywhere. Like, you know, I can be in Darwin or in Melbourne or in Adelaide and I can still have conversations with all of my clients I think probably that nine to five mentality is changing now anyway because of what what COVID's done to lots of different businesses. And I think that's a good thing. I think to have that flexibility, it draws on people's strengths rather than limits them and keeps them in the box. You know, nine to five does not work for everybody and definitely doesn't work when I work in the music industry or the arts when so much of our work happens in the evenings or weekends or whatever. So having the flexibility of having maybe Mondays off because I work Saturdays, like yeah. those 
those things are really important for people's mental health. You know, if you're trying to work nine to five and you're going against the grain when it doesn't really suit you and you don't have the productivity, I don't understand why we force people into that. And the other thing is working from home. I think that's really kind of been quite wonderful. Um, I have an office space in the city as well, but to have that flexibility again, if I want to stay at home, I can still be very productive and work on my laptop. And I keep saying to my friends and colleagues that wherever my laptop goes, my office goes. So really, I don't need to be in someone else's office to demonstrate that I can work. So you said you love it. So that's the flexibility and you hate it. So what don't you like? What's hard? Um, getting the jobs and I guess I've been lucky, very lucky for the last three years to have been able to attract enough business to keep going. Um, one of the hardest things is about not having the boss to go to when you have an issue or, and I, you know, the buck stops, stops with me. I don't have another level or several levels sometimes that I'm used to that I go to and say, help, (laughs) what do I do about this? And lucky my, um, again, my clients have been amazing and I work as part of a team usually. So I'm not just responding to a need and delivering something. It's usually um, a project that I get to participate in on a number of different levels. Um, but yeah, I guess just looking back even, I had no idea how to run a business three years ago. Just the admin side of it, you know, looking after you know, um, invoicing and yeah. and all of that, you know, that's been a new thing. Whereas I used to work in a place where there was a department for that. So yes. longer oh, you could just <laughs> flick it over. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think um, that that's what everybody I know who's um, you know working for themselves. It's it's that that level of stress of as you say the buck stopping with you and never really switching off. I think it's um, constantly on your mind. But you know, on the flip side, you get to um, be selective about what you do and you do it in you know at a time that suits you, which is wonderful. And music helps. You know, I put on yeah. nice music that makes me feel creative or um, Bonobo is an artist that I absolutely love and it's some beautiful electronic music that doesn't have any lyrics usually. So I just, I can listen to it in the background, but I don't get distracted by it. Lovely energy music. It's not even ambient necessarily, but yeah, it's just the right kind of office music that works for me. Oh, that's excellent. I don't know how people listen to heavy metal at all. My son does, but I don't understand it. (laughs) Yeah. My, my son listens to a lot of rap, which, um, I, I find it doesn't, it's not relaxing, but it's not meant to be, I don't think either. So. No, yeah, that's true. So, and then how do you strive to find balance in your daily life and look after your own well-being? Probably all of us can do it better than we do, but I try and do exercise, well, I do exercise every single day. I think now occasionally I go for walks with the dog and I don't even take my um, headphones with me because I switch off and don't even listen to music because if I'm listening to music then I can hear my phone as well and if someone's trying to call me whereas I keep it on silent if I'm (laughs) out and about and whatever and I don't look at the phone so much so definitely exercise is really important because I think it like physical exercise exercises your mind as well or it Mm -hmm. can relax the mind and I can switch off or Sometimes if I need to think about things, exercising is great as well. You can focus on a couple of priorities for the day and have a bit of a think before you sit down at the computer and, um, yeah, have a think about the conversations that I might be having to make uh, or have later that day. Um, I think the other thing, again, it's music for me. I love going to see shows uh, when I can. And um, that helps me just be in a room to hear and see different things and 
and I love that. And I don't think about work when I'm at a live show. So that's been, um, I think, a bit of an accumulative thing just lately, not having to have been able to do it at all for so long. That's been hard. So um, hopefully, little bit by little bit, we'll see more of that uh, coming mm. back. And I've been DJing again a little bit. Um, oh, brilliant. As well. Background music on it because no dancing allowed yet, but oh. I dance, so I, <laughs> in my booth, so it helps me selfishly. So, and um, just to put everything in context, you talking about working for, for yourself and music and exercise. You are we're currently talking to each other. Anne's in Darwin, and um, you're involved in the Darwin Festival there. So, can you tell us what that's all about? Yeah, so Darwin Festival is a multi-arts festival. It's been going for many, many years. Um, and uh, each year just seems to have grown. Last year they sold out almost everything on the program. And uh, the, the community here really gets behind it. <clears throat> they really love uh, the fact that there's this three-week season of great music, theatre, visual art, um, classical and contemporary music, actually, and lots of Indigenous programming. And right. it's just really... Yeah, you can see the festival in the city. It's really lovely. Obviously, it's a fairly small city with only about 100,000 people. Um, but during the festival, being dry season as well, lots and lots of tourists come to Northern Territory. And because our borders are open with South Australia, um, most of the hotels here are sold out, so they're completely booked out. So, yeah, there are lots of people here in town for the festival, which this year is only two weeks instead of three. Um, and um, the program is just local except for one act um, that I program from South Australia and Electric Fields. So they'll be coming up next week. But it's a smaller, much more local kind of um, program. But what they've done here um, in Darwin this year is really engage the community. So there's even a series of uh, house concerts in people's private homes. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so that's a classical music um, series. So there's... Yeah, they've been in, inventive about how to kind of still maximise the opportunity to put on a festival when pretty much every other festival has been cancelled or postponed, in not just in Australia but in the world. So they want to be um, in, a, in a place again where live music is allowed and where people are embracing live performances. I'm very excited to be here. I bet you are. I bet you are. It's going to feed your soul, isn't it? Every bit of it. Well, it sounds great, Anne. And finally, to wrap up, if you could recommend two things that all people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? I would say smile more, focus on positive things in life. There's probably more than two, but can't help myself. okay. (laughs) Be the glass half full person uh, and see good in people. Um, Exude kindness. You know, we can't always be all about every day. And um, I try to kind of have um, a way to be positive about things as much as I can, even when things are looking pretty dire. Like if I can find moments, and it might be a piece of music that I listen to that puts a smile on my face or makes me feel like dancing again, um, I'm happy with that. And um, I think the important thing is not to give up and to find people around you that will help you not give up. Yeah, oh, that's excellent advice. And I'm very excited to say that Anne has put together for us a Spotify playlist of her good mood music. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. That was very hard to do. How do you choose the songs? I know. I mean, and also I think every day you might make a different choice. You know, if I asked you to do that playlist today, it might be different from what you did a few weeks ago. It's very hard. 
that's true. I'm not even going to look at it because I probably want to change it. So I'll let you <laughs> one I gave you. <laughs> um, and thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you and I hope that the Darwin Festival goes really well. Thank you. I'm very pleased to have been able to have this chat. So, yeah, you've made me think about a few things about my own well-being as well. So it's oh, a good great. reminder. Thank well. you, Anne. That was the glass half full, kind and positive Anne Weiberg talking about the power of music. Thank you for listening today. I hope you found today's interview interesting or inspiring. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, You can subscribe on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, Overcast, iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Just simply click the red subscribe button. Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook and check out my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com where you can contact me on the contacts page. And please feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed, and I'll do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. It has become my full-time job, to which I dedicate a lot of time, money and effort. If you enjoy my podcast and would like to support it, I would be so grateful. You can make contributions via my Patreon page or via PayPal, from the support page on my website. I'll put a link in the show notes. Another way you can support my podcast is by purchasing a book from the book reviews page on my website. If you click the Amazon link there, at no extra cost to you, I will receive a small commission when you buy a book. Thank you for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.